church this evening. We're so glad to be here. Glad to be back on Wednesday nights, our midweek service. Uh, if we're, do, we're uh, in a series, and we're going to continue it tonight, called How to Guarantee Your Success, or Just Guarantee Your Success. And uh, I'd like for you to turn in your Bible with me to the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Isn't Jesus wonderful? Is. Praise God. Chapter two, chapter one. We looked at this Sunday, but let's look at it, verse one through five again. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout, the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Y'all want me to do Second Peter? <laughs> It'd be better, wouldn't it? Oh, glad I didn't go through all five verses before I figured it out. <laughs> Amen. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's better. To them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied, be multiplied unto you. How? Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of them him that hath called us to glory and virtue we looked at that word virtue it means a lot of things including the power of god but it also means character it means excellence whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises let's just stop here and thank jesus for the great and exceeding promises because that's the totality of our life we have nothing except religion except the promises that he's given to us that he said he will accomplish. And that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption, which is destruction, that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. So that's what we want to do in this series, is add to our faith virtue. Have character in it. Because faith works by love, and so you, you can't just say, I'm, I'm calling in five Cadillacs or whatever. Uh, or I, I believe God, to, to my enemies all to fall down and go hungry or something like that. It, you know, that doesn't work. So uh, this word virtue means excellence. It means valor. It means character. And that's what the Lord has put on my heart right now for us all to strive for. Uh, we know how to use our faith. We know what the scriptures say about prosperity and about healing, about the gifts of the Spirit. We know those things, although we're always accomplishing them. But there's a seek ye first the kingdom of God addendum in this message. That we are always as much mindful about putting something in, because we could preach on anything. We, we, we could grab a scripture on the way in and just and just go an hour and everybody go, yeah, yeah, that's the word. But what about the word that nourishes us tonight and the, worst, the word that fits all of us in this part of our life? It's, uh, it's seek ye first. We, we've, got to, we've got to throw off things that are little and trite and uh, seem like they want our attention but are not important to where we're going and what we're doing. Uh, when the Lord told me to only do what only you can do so that you will finish what you 
must do. He told me that, and I just believe it's a word for everybody to cut back and to pare off the things that are nominal, that are worldly, that are unprofitable, unfruitful, and to pull around. And many times things that we pursue in order to make a living or to just take care of life, to turn around and just seek the Lord and see if all these things will be added unto you. Isn't that where we're all going? Is, is, we're not trying to get more scripture in or more uh, uh, things in. We're trying to pare down and make a priority of what, what is for us and what for is for us now. It's a lot less work. The kingdom should be easy and light, the yoke. So we're, we're looking at everything that says, what is this? That's, that's not where we are. That's not what we're doing. You know, we could say for sure the, uh, what, what is, the begats. Is that what this in the first of the Gospels, the begats? You know, we don't study them much. We, we prove some stuff out scripturally, but we need to have the begats. I say when, when you get a new convert and he turns over and he says, I, I read four chapters in Leviticus today. You know, you got to do some steering there. That's not it. So uh, this virtue, character, and excellence is who a man, that's who we are. We're fulfilling who we are. We're, we're putting in who he is in us, and we're working out stuff that's still in the old man. Habits, predispositions, uh, even where we had maybe demonic strongholds at one time in our younger life or something, and the effects of that. Addictions, uh, bad attitudes, uh, personality disorders where you're just... You're just mean or you're just you lose your temper or, or fearfulness a number of the things we're working them out not by attacking them directly but just taking their foundation to stay in our life just removing it dissolving it by putting the promises in putting the powerful things of God in so I wrote down here I hadn't said this yet that character is the prophecy of a man's destiny character is the prophecy we also say, you know, you, whatever you meditate on is coming. So if you meditate on the things of God, the things of the Spirit, the things of the promises, that's what's coming. If you meditate, Job says in chapter 3, the thing I feared most came upon me. The thing he meditated on was heading his away. Well, we used to meditate on things that are, we don't meditate on anymore. And we, we think we've cleaned house, we think everything's right, but then something shows up because revelation is progressive. The more you go, the more you can go. You think you get to the end of it, and then all of a sudden, there's more to do, more to have. As we're turning into the image of the Lord Jesus, what he created us. So, we say that a man's character, and you believe this, a man's character, if, if his word is no good, what would we say about that man? He's no good. Well, he's a great artist, a great musician, a great uh, uh, philanthropist. He's a great statesman. He's a great this, that, and the other. And so we, we, and we say, if his word's no good, it doesn't matter. What he's done, what he has, what he could do is potential. If his word's no good, that man, that woman is no good. And then we turn it back around to the Lord himself and say, if that's true down here, isn't it true of him? If his word is no good... Isn't that how it is? 
And that's a hard thing to say. Well, that means God's no good. But, but Buddha is no good because his word is no good. None of these other faiths, so-called faiths, none of them prophesy. There is no prophecy in any of their books except in the Koran. There is one word about somebody riding a horse, and it's recorded later that he rode the horse. <laughs> All right, hallelujah. So, so, so God's word is good. He said it would be this way, and his, history records that it was that way. Even things that they said, it's not in history. And it, God said it was this way. The, I'm thinking of the Hittites. And they said there were no Hittites. They've never been discovered. And then in about a dozen years, somebody, dug, guess what they dug up? They dug up the Hittites. And so the word is true. So if God's word is good, then he is good. And if, but, it, but you have to believe. You have to believe and rest upon God's word is real. It's good. It's, it will always prevail. And that is the measure of character. If you think you're great, that's not character. But if you think God's great, you have great character. Believing his word is true is the highest measure of excellence. You have no other, no other place to attain, to rise up, to fulfill your potential than that. So uh, if a man's word is no good, listen to him. Just listen to her. Just pay attention if you're going to measure people, and the only reason we measure people is so we'll know not to sit in the seat of the scornful. Psalm 1. So we measure things to say, am I supposed to follow you or am I supposed to be over you in the sense of mentoring or am I just a peer? There's all kinds of levels. Would you turn with me to Galatians chapter 6? God is, God's word is being fulfilled word for word. Galatians chapter 6. Now, what the Word's doing for you even tonight, for me, every time you sit under the Word, every time you read the Word, meditate the Word, it, it chips away things that have got to go. Have you ever been in Carlsbad Caverns or another cavern, whatever? Carlsbad's a big one in West Texas, New Mexico. And they, they say these stalagmites and tights, whichever the way they are, you know, that they came from a dripping, a mineral that dripped. And it just took thousands and thousands of years for it to form, you know, whatever, six feet tall or, or taller. But it was a long, long process. And that's what's going on in our lives right now. It is a process. We would like for God just to smack us with truth, and then we would just robotically get up and have a great life. But there's stuff that's got to go out. There's just so much room in there. And we got stuff in there that's being occupied by stuff that's negative, that's not faith, that's, uh, that's anti-kingdom. It's just, it's just unbelief. Have you ever heard of an agnostic or an, uh, a Christian atheist? Christian atheists are people that say they believe the word, but they don't do the word. Because only, you only believe what you're willing to do. Think about that. You're only really believing. Somebody told me the other day, um, excuse me, uh, he's talking about the Holy Ghost. And I, you know, when we were talking about glossolalia and all that, and, I, and, he, and he said, well, I, I, I believe that. And I said, well, do you do it? Oh, no, oh, no. And I said, well, then you don't believe it. I was kind of in his face about, about that, hallelujah. But uh, that's, that's how it is. You only believe what you're willing to do.
That's a point of character. Hallelujah. So Galatians chapter 6, I've got to get to it, or we'll just be reviewing here. Be not deceived, verse 7, be not deceived, seduced, or led astray. God is not mocked. Let's say that together. God is not mocked. Now we know that, but we also know that men mock God, not by saying God's a fool, but by saying other things, like he doesn't keep his word. Like he doesn't keep his word. Or he didn't love us because he let my little brother die or whatever. And they begin to accuse God subtly. But nevertheless, they eviscerate him. For whatsoever man soweth. Here's a big, big verse. I hope you've got little gold stars around this one. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Now in your younger day, in your, in your lesser day... This was a negative scripture. And we looked at it like, ah, the bad thing I did, it's coming back to me in spades. And that's how we looked at it, that it would be judgment. But judgment is not negative. Judgment in the Olympics, there's judgment in every race, in every event. And after the judgment is over, they declare a champion. Gold, silver, and bronze. That's judgment. And they step up and the judgment then is rewarded. So judgment is not negative. It can be, but it's not meant to put things down. It's meant to elevate those things that are right. And then just whatever's left. That's what it is about heaven. It's not that God's judging the sinner to send him to hell. It's that he judged the righteous and sent them to heaven, and everything else is just left. What's it left to? Well, it, it can't stay on the earth. Once you die, you can't stay here. And so if you can't be rewarded with heaven, judged for heaven, then you have to be left to hell. But he doesn't want to send anybody to hell. He's not mad at anybody. Do y'all know all the good people in the world that did everything right except make Jesus Lord are going to hell? You go, well, that, that's not good judgment. Well, see, that's what we're, we're working in and working out is that very scenario and it's changing our lives so that we're not condemned by our performance. The church is very performance-oriented. Very. Not this one, but, but, but it's because we've been taught this and believe this. And we are very, even in your own mind, we have to know there is therefore now no condemnation to me. Because I'm in Christ Jesus. Otherwise, why, why is that verse in there? Because condemnation is sent to us based on our poor performance, our failure, our missing the mark. It's called sin. And we're condemned. And we then all of a sudden you get doctrine that says, well, you're going to hell. You got divorced. You're going to hell. That's just crazy. That what you do in your body, in what you do in your body would send you to a spiritual destination. You do have to make Jesus the, the Lord of your life. But that's a spiritual decision. It's wrong for them to get up there and preach hellfire and brimstone. Because then people make an emotional decision. And if you make an emotional decision thinking you made a spiritual decision, you're still lost. You're still without. Even though your emotions got, you know, you made your liver quiver that night. When he was, you know, when he was, the flames were licking over your, 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 your legs and you were like, ah, it feels hot in here. Well, that was emotion. Just put the plain truth out there and let people make a spiritual decision. Are we right? But that's not the way the church. The church does not like that. 
Preachers like to get up and they want to notch their belt and say, how many can we get saved this month? And we do need to get people saved this month, but not that way. And it's not a contest and it's certainly nothing to, to, to uh, gloat about. None of these preachers are saviors. We're all just pointing to him. We're all just declaring him. But every one of them was lost at one time too. So he says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. This scripture, verse 7 and verse 8, verse 7, is one of the most important scriptures in the Bible. And it's just, it's just hidden in there. It's just, it's just buried in Galatians 6. And yet this truth, which is in other places, is so, so powerful that most believers misunderstand the kingdom because they don't believe this verse. What is the verse? Verse six, uh, verse seven. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Well, now we're, we're talking about character and excellence and virtue. And what that means is if you don't believe that, if you if you sashay around that and say, well, pretty close, then you have low character because you don't believe that you you make God a man. We we, we don't demand excellence from one another. We're very compliant. We're very open. It's like good enough is good enough. You tried E for effort. We're so glad you're here. However you got here. But that's not the, so we we tag God with that and say, well, he he wouldn't really do it. Have you ever heard religion say God wouldn't really if he was God wouldn't send anybody to hell? Well, that's everywhere. And so it's like, what is that? Well, they're saying that God's a liar, that he does not keep his word. And the same thing with sowing and reaping. We can do bad things and not repent for them, they say. And it won't, it won't hurt because God's just, he just wouldn't do that to pretty old me, little old me. And so we are deceived. Listen, here it is. We, we mock God, we are deceived if we believe God does not keep his word whatsoever man soweth. That exactly will he reap. We don't like that absolute. We don't like that exactness. We don't like that in our lives now. We want close enough. We even think people are strange that are so exacting. You got to be here and you got to have this and you got to everything. We don't like people like that. What do they call them? OCD or something? You know, we, we have a word for people that are absolutes. I didn't know if y'all believe that or not. The Amplified says, do not be deceived and deluded and misled. Now, why would, why would the word have that in there right here? Why would he have to use that kind of language? And he's not talking about demons. He's not talking about false prophets. He's not talking about uh, seducing things. Or Why is he talking, do not be deceived, God is not mocked? We've got to get it in context. This must be important. And there must be a lot of people that are deceived, that are mocking God by saying what you reap isn't necessarily what you reap. Excuse me, what you sow is not necessarily what you reap. Now, I know we'd all in this room say, well, bless their hearts. They're not, I'm glad I'm not that way. We're all that way. We've all got a measure. And if you don't have a measure, it's because you've been working on it really diligently and you've been calling on God to help you. But we're all struggling with believing that what 
the word is absolutely true, and it's a measure of our character. And so when we, when we say God is not mocked, what the Lord is saying, I am not a man. Don't mock me by saying I am as a man. And I'm not absolute. Or don't say that I don't keep my word. Or don't say, he said, you're mocking me if you say I'm like you, like all. And that's why that scripture is there. Uh, Men that say that God's lenient, that he's merciful. He is lenient. He is merciful. He sent Jesus. And so we entered in the kingdom by his mercy, by, by, his, by his long suffering. But now the word is in charge. And it, it's merciful. If you sin, you, all you got to do is confess your sin. Plead the blood of Jesus and you're free. You're out. But if you don't, and then you ask God to, to, to forgive you or to release you another way, you mock God because there's just one way. Now, there was a lot of ways that God could have set it up, but he set it up this way and he's not changing it. You know, I think it ought to be this way and that way. Well, he didn't. This is the best thing for us, isn't it? This, it couldn't be better. It couldn't be better, even though sometimes we don't want to eat our green beans. Those, those green beans, I know they're good for you. Uh, so if we have low character, let's just say somebody has low character. Well, what's that mean? Well, they're a drunk, and they're a womanizer, and they're a, they, they, they lie all the time. Well, you could assign several things to that kind of person. But really, uh, a low character is when they assume that God and his word are negotiable. And I'm here to tell you tonight, the word is not negotiable. Sin can be dealt with. Jesus, uh, the word says, sin shall not have dominion over you. Yes, thank you. So th that's not like God won't negotiate on sin, but he does not negotiate on Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by him. You all know that's a non-negotiable? Do you know how many religions think that that is negotiable? Ah, there's many ways to God, many ways to heaven. Y'all Christians, take your way, but there's other ways. We found another way. It's not negotiable. And hell will be filled with those negotiators because it's just not true. Uh, so a low character, now going back to low character, low character would say that uh, we assume God is negotiable on his word, but it would be a low character to also assume that God does not keep his word and does not expect to. Like, God knows we're frail. God knows we're weak. God knows we're fleshly. God knows we're weak and all that. Therefore, and it's what comes after therefore, that eats you because we say God won't really do what he said he'll do because he knows how weak we are. He knows what a hard childhood I had. He knows what my, my ex did to me. He knows, and he won't do that to me. And it's, you got low character right there. If you think God is a man. We go to judges and we plead our case. Saying I, I did it but I didn't mean to and I won't do it again. And, and then the, the judge or the jury decides that. And that's where judge, judgment or mercy is dispensed. But here the verdict's already in. Just go find it. You don't, God's not negotiating it. God's not deciding. I'm going to bless this and I'm going to bless that. He's not willing that any should perish. 
He wants everybody. So Jesus came for everybody. For everybody. Nobody was left out. Um, the Passion Version says, Make no mistake about it. The harvest you reap, listen to this, reveals the seed that was planted. Now that's the B-I-B-L-E. That we are living are sowing right now. If I don't like what I'm living, then I should have changed my sowing. It's not God's fault. I'll tell you, it's not even the devil's fault. The devil just pushes where we open the door. If we open the door to some area, he just pushes us through it. But I'm in charge. You're in charge. Are we in charge? We're in charge. Or is God robotically just controlling you saying no, he's not. There's none of that going on. So here we see in verse 7. Let's look in verse 7 again. What does it say? For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So here we have the whatsoever. We have the whatsoever in the kingdom. The kingdom has some whatsoever's in it. And the whatsoever is, is no matter what seed you sow, it will not alter in the ground, in the, in the process. It will come back exactly as it was sown in multitudes. Now, if you leave your finger there and slip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it's just right there behind Galatians. So we have the whatsoever. And in chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, verse 6, excuse me, is it verse 6? Uh, yes, verse 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall also reap, shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. So here we have the howsoever. Galatians tells us whatsoever a man soweth. So that's the whatsoever. Doesn't matter what kind of seed you pick up and throw in the ground of the kingdom. That is what's coming back. But the howsoever is, is how will it come back? Well, if you sow frugally and, 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 and sparingly, he says that you will reap that way. So it's fair. Do we agree? It's fair. We know this in, in, in agricultural plants and gardeners. We know that's how it works. We've verified it in the natural realm. So howsoever, he which soweth sparingly shall reap. That word shall is a real strong Greek word. It's an absolute word, shall reap. It's not like, well, it could happen or it might happen, depends on this, and it wonders about that. Shall means this is how it's going to turn out. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. So look at your life right now, and you can say, how is my life? And you can find out, you can, you can backward engineer this, as it were, take the equation and go back, a math equation, and go back and say, what is X? Well, X, then, if you've got this harvest and you go back and say, what's X? X is, that was the seed. If, if you don't like your finances, if you don't like your family uh, situation or your what, whatever, I can't even go there, then you, you, you can't blame God. You can't even blame the devil. Now, the devil will put things in front of you to see if he can stumble, get you to stumble. He's a deceiver. And so that's what he does is make something look good when it's not good. 
get you to get you to make relationships with people that are sitting in the seat of the scornful or in the scornful. So it's up to me. It's totally up to me. Whatsoever a man soweth, it's totally up to me. A man soweth. A man soweth, that shall he also reap. There's no negotiables in there. There's no uh, exceptions. There's no sometimes or not all the time, and maybe it's absolute. Would you all agree with me that the word is absolute? I may be mistranslating it, but that is what it says. And in our English language, that's the meaning or the definition to those words that we attach to it. And, you know, I don't know anything else about that. So here's the question. Why do people try to uh, cheat us? How do people, have you ever been cheated? And I think we all have. I won't assume that, but I'm, you know, a lot of people have if they hadn't been cheated. Why, how could we have been cheated? Well, they were a dirty dog and the system's rigged and I didn't know and my brother-in-law slipped in and changed it and all that. How did they cheat us? Well, now, just guess with me because I'm just guessing. It could be that in our past, way back or a little back, we misrepresented the truth to somebody else. We deceived or finagled or what, what's the word, uh, uh, half-truth or whatever. And, and it's not malicious. It's just the way the world works. It's, it's not like, oh, yeah, you could get thrown in jail for that. It's, it's just life, an insecure, a hesitant, a, a survival life. That's, that's what that is. We're trying to survive because we don't really, 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 really believe the word is true. If we did whatsoever you sow and you sow bountifully, it's coming back. So I got a scripture here. I'm so proud of this little thing here. Second Timothy chapter three. Let me just read it to you because of time. But second Timothy three thirteen says this. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Now, listen, here it is. Deceiving and being deceived. Right. Oh, so deceivers didn't deceive anybody. It's coming back to them. And they, they can't trust anybody and they become, they become embedded in what they did because they've lost all security and foundation of the truth. They have no way to know who's doing what to them because in their background, not these people that, that he's wondering about now, but in their background, they s deceived somebody. And so... Uh, in Genesis chapter 3, can I just read these to you? 31, excuse me, Genesis 31. I just, uh, the Lord showed me this and I got happy that I had an example out of the word. Genesis chapter 31, y'all remember this. Uh, it's in verse 7, 31, 7. Now remember, uh, no, that's Exodus. Now, y'all remember Jacob. He, he went to Laban and he said, I want your, I want your daughter. And, uh, and, and guess what Laban did? He snuck in. He, he was wanting number two daughter. And Laban, daddy, snuck in number one. 
would you say that Jacob was deceived? And in verse 7, he even enunciates it. He says, and your father hath deceived me and changed my wages ten times. But God suffered him not to hurt me. But it happened. Have, you, have, you, have, have we ever been rescued by somebody's deception? I have. I didn't see it like it was, but at the last minute, the Lord fished me out and bailed me out and saved me. It was embarrassing. It was, it was not good, but, but he fished me out. But, but look at the scripture in uh, Genesis 27, because we're talking about Jacob here. We're talking about Israel. In chapter 27, well, what, what did Jacob do to get deceived? In chapter 27, verse 33, it says, And Isaac... Uh, let's make sure I'm in the right place. Okay. And Isaac trembled very exceedingly and said, Who? Where is he that... This is Isaac. This is daddy. Remember Esau and Jacob are the two sons. And, he, and, and Isaac trembled and said, Where is he that hath taken venison and brought it to me? And I have eaten of all before thou camest and have blessed him. Yea, and he shall be blessed. Well, y'all remember the story Esau was supposed to come in. I guess he didn't keep his appointment. And uh, Jacob snuck in and he put on fur on his arms and he, and he made this savory stew and from venison or whatever and went in there and smelled like a, a skunk or whatever Esau was smelling like, the out, outdoor guy. Uh, and, and Isaac blessed the younger, thinking it was the older. In verse 34, and when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry and said unto his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, thy brother came with sub subtlety. Y'all know what that means, even if I can't say it. And hath taken away thy blessing. And he said, is not he rightly named Jacob? For he hath supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. And he said, Hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? And he, got, and he got a blessing from his father, but it was a hard one. You will serve your younger brother, which is so contrary in those days. So what happened to Jacob when he's over there and he got the wrong daughter? And he had to work seven years more for, for Rachel. And, uh, and, and his father-in-law was changing the rules on the sheep. You didn't have a speckled one. Well, they all came up speckled. So he says, no, nah, we're not doing speckled. So that was sowing and reaping. And it cannot, it cannot be denied without repenting, without digging up the seed. You got to dig it up. Well, to dig it up, you got to know about it. And to know about it, you got to be willing to know about it. Pride has to go out the door. Whoop. Can't, can't be boastful. Well, I didn't really do that. Isn't that what most people do? I didn't really do it. I, I, I did a little of it, but it was mostly them. Have you ever heard that before? Have you ever heard it come out of your own mouth? It doesn't matter. The thing is there. And it's not that it's evil or good. It's that it's a seed. And whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So I don't like every part of my life. I like most of it, the big end of it. But there's some things that I, and you, I'm not just up here confessing for me. I'm just saying, I, I hadn't got there yet. 
And I'm just like, I'm waiting on God to change some things, or I'm waiting on me to get power over the devil, or I'm waiting on... No, I'm waiting on revelation to know what seed I've been sowing that keeps bringing me the harvest that I don't like. And it, it transitions. It, it's not like... It looks just like it did. Jacob deceived his brother and his father, and he got deceived by his father-in-law. So it changed forms a little bit, but it came, and that's what it was. Now, the reason I'm bringing this message to you, River Church, and, and broadcast, is because this is life-changing. It's kind of a hard saying. It's kind of a thing that says, that's pretty hard. I realize that. But wouldn't you rather know? Wouldn't you rather have a chance, at least an opportunity to say, well, if that's right, let me look. Let me just examine. Let me think about that. Versus to just not even know about it. Just think, well, it's the devil. The devil's mean. He's capable of a lot. But we have dominion over him. Yes. And we have dominion over our seed sowing. You lay down your life one way and pick it up another way. We lay down our life in service and we pick it up in reward for the things of God. I don't have time for this last one. But there's another scripture, hallelujah, that's real good. And we'll save that one, hallelujah, because we're, we're trying to get out of date. I'm shooting for it. I want you all to know, you can come to Wednesday night church and say, I, I'm tired, I'm not going tonight, because he might go till 9 o'clock. Well, he might, but everybody will be laying out on the floor and calling on God when that happens. <laughs> So I'm changing some things. I hope you do too. Not that we're bad, we're not. Not that we're condemned, absolutely not. But we can adjust. The, Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom. Well, that just means it's, it's not something you reach the kingdom and you've, you've got there and now you just quit. It's an ongoing process, isn't it? To, to find our assignment, to run our race and finish our course it takes all of our life. It takes all of our life until we go to heaven. Now, in heaven, you won't have to use your faith. There'll be no devil. There'll be no sickness. There'll be no nothing. We have dominion over all that in the earth, but we have to use our faith. We have to, we have to believe the promises, and that takes faith. The outcome is the same as heaven, but there is a lot involved down here. Plus, we have this mind that's being renewed, being re renovated, remodeled. And so sometimes we think wrong. You, you, we get around people that think wrong. In heaven, everybody will think right. <laughs> and you'll be right. I told you so. <laughs> you'll be vindicated in heaven. <laughs> or not. It could be the Lord Jesus doesn't let us get vindicated, you reckon? <laughs> I, I, I love heaven. It... it I, can I say this? Just as a Christian, not because I'm under any pain or any pressure or not because I'm grieving or longing or dissatisfied. None of those things are going on in my life. But I know where I'm going. And it's not a small thing. When I go on vacation, I know where I'm going. And I, I, I long for it, you know, like can't wait to get up there in the mountains or can't wait to get to the beach or wherever. You can't deny that you long for it because it's a different dynamic. Well, I, I, I'm, Jesus is in heaven, and everything is about him. Some people think, well, when I get up there, I'm going to go to this person and that person. You will.
but there won't be any controversy, no strife, no arguments, no, no, I told you so. Jesus is the whole thing. He wants to be here. He paid the price to be the whole thing here. And you and I individually can make him so. But in heaven, there won't be anybody there that says, I'm tired of church. <laughs> ah, yay. Yay, Lord, yay. Praise God. Well, thank you for tuning in this evening to River Church Broadcast. We'll see you Sunday and have a big time together.